Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 48. Hear the word of the Lord. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house in the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, 
He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water? for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. What cross-cultural missionaries do is we learn a language, and we learn a culture, and we learn a system of a new place, and we try to integrate into that place as much as we're able to, and share the gospel with those who are native to that place. And what we need to do, if we're going to be effective missionaries, is we need to learn to love the people to whom we've been sent. And that's not always easy because of the differences that sometimes are very hard for the missionary and also hard to receive the missionary because the missionary comes with his or her own baggage and own cultural trappings. Well, we worked hard at this. We went to Mexico City for four years and we worked hard to learn the language and we worked hard to learn the culture. And as we did, we fell in love with the people of Mexico City. And we felt like we were advancing in our ability to to cross cultures and to love people who were different from us. And the church grew during those first four years in Mexico City. And then we had to go on what's called a home ministry assignment. And that's where we would come back to the States and report to the churches about all the wonderful things that God was doing. And so we drove out of Mexico City and we made it to San Antonio. We had two little girls. They were both in their car seats and in our little SUV. And we made it to San Antonio. And we found a hotel that I thought we could afford. And we spent the night in that hotel. And they just said, we want to get out of these seats. We want to go to the pool. Well, this wasn't a nice hotel, but it did have a pool. But the pool was nasty. And so I didn't really want my daughters to go to the pool. But I thought, well, we've just kept them trapped in their car seats for all this time. I take them to the pool and say, don't put your face in it. Don't, don't go underwater. Just up to your neck. And so we went to the pool. And at the pool, I found a man who was lounging in the pool. He was a, an enormous mountain of a man with huge bulging muscles. And uh, he yelled up to the balcony to a woman who was up there. And he said, hey, girlfriend, bring me another beer. And so this young lady 
who was dressed in a bikini with strategically placed tattoos on her body. She brought a beer for him, and she brought a beer for herself and came down to the pool. And then she began to serenade us with song. She first started with, I shot the sheriff. And then she went on to, I fought the law, and the law won. And I began to do a little bit of rhetorical analysis here, and I thought, she may have a problem with authority and with, with legal authority. And then she became very friendly, and she started talking to us, but I didn't really want to be too friendly with her. You remember the mountain of a man who was her boyfriend there, and so I was just trying to keep my daughter's head, heads above water, and she began to talk with us, and she was very friendly. But all I wanted to do was get out of there, because I realized that I did not want to be around these people. And then, to my horror and my shame, I realized that I had spent four years trying to learn about other people who were different from me so that I could love them and get the gospel to them. And then in my first night back in the United States, I was having trouble loving people who were different from me in other ways. And I realized that I had a long way to go still as a missionary about loving people who are different from me. This text that we're going to see today brings two men together who were very different from each other. And we have the encounter of these two men, and what we have in these two men is God working in each of them, in each of them, and we'll see what He does here, how He brings them together by working the truth of His gospel into both of them. We have a Roman soldier and we have a Jewish fisherman. The first vision is to the Roman soldier. The second vision is to the Jewish fisherman. And it's a long text. I'll just summarize these two visions. We just read about them. The first vision was an angel comes to a man named Cornelius. He was a captain, a centurion in the Italian cohort of the Roman army. And he was also a Gentile who feared God. And he worshipped God. And he led his whole family to fear and worship God. And he also was generous. He gave of his means to the Jewish people. So he, he contributed to the Jews. And the angel came and said that his prayers and his giving, his donations, had been recognized before God. And the angel instructed him to call for a man named Simon, also called Peter. He was staying with another Simon, who was a tanner, staying in Joppa. That's the first vision. So he does it. He gets two servants, one soldier, sends them to Joppa. The second vision was to Peter. Peter goes up on the rooftop, and it's about noon. So there was probably some sort of a tarp or a cover, and he was going to pray. And he got hungry. It wasn't the normal Jewish time for eating, but we don't know what was going going on. But they were preparing food, Peter was hungry, and he had a vision. And in this vision, this thing came down from heaven. And it was like a sheet held by four corners, and it had the three kinds of animals in it that are mentioned in Genesis. Three kinds of animals. If you go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 20, you find the same division of animals that we find here. And it it refers to, it's in verses 11 and 12, um, refers to um, animals, reptiles, and birds. And that's the three basic categories of animals in Genesis. And then there's a voice that says, Peter, 
And remember, he's what? He's hungry. Peter, rise, kill, and eat. All kinds of animals here, go ahead, kill one, and eat it. And Peter is aghast. He's aghast in this vision, and he says, No, never, Lord, never. He says, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And what's he referring to? He's referring to, if you go back to Leviticus, he's referring to in Jewish diet and to this day, there are certain animals that are considered clean and other animals that are considered unclean. And they were not to eat the unclean animals, they were to eat the clean animals. And Peter was saying, I have only eaten clean animals all my life, I'm not going to change now. And then the voice comes a second time and says, What God has cleansed, don't call unclean. And this happened three times. Things seem to happen to Peter in threes, don't they? And here he, he denied the voice three times. We've seen Peter deny three times before. It'd be restored three times. And here, three times in this vision, he says, no, no, no. And then the vision ends. Peter's wondering, what, what is that? And then the Holy Spirit somehow says to him, there are three men at the gate. He goes down and he talks to the three men. And the three men go and they they say, Cornelius also had a vision and he told us to come get you so that you could tell us what you have to say. So you could tell us what you have to say. They told Peter about Cornelius' devotion and the vision that he had. Now, Peter maybe is softening up a little bit to the idea of having having concourse with with Gentiles, non-Jews, because he invites them to stay in Simon the Tanner's house. There may be something a little bit ironic here as well. The tanning business was an unclean business. And so Peter is staying in a house of someone who is ceremonially unclean, but at the same time saying, oh no, I have never defiled myself with that which is unclean. So there may be a little bit of, of humor going on here as well. And it wasn't as problematic for a Jew to receive a Gentile as it was for a Jew to go into a Gentile's house. Why? Because the Jew in his own house could control the diet. And so they would eat things that they could eat. And the Gentiles would eat whatever is set before them. Now, Peter goes the next day and he takes along some other Jews. And it's a good thing he did. Because they could be witnesses of what was going to happen. And we find out later that there were six of them. So this is a, a, a host of, of Jews who could, who could testify. And when he meets Cornelius, there is a very awkward encounter here. How many of you have ever traveled in another country, in a language that you don't understand, in a culture you don't understand? One of the hardest things to figure out is what? How do you greet people, right? And, and I had to learn how to do Mexican greetings. And they're very specific to Mexico. They're not Latin American greetings, they're Mexican greetings. And I had to learn how to do those. And now I have to remind myself not to do that here, because it would be misunderstood. And then when I see my Mexican friends, I need to, I need to put that chip back in and I need to, to, to greet them like that. Well, they didn't know how to greet each other here. So Cornelius falls at Peter's feet. And it says here, the translation says, worshipped him. Well, that may be too strong. The word could mean... Could could mean worship as we worship God, or it could just mean that he, he reverenced him, he showed him respect. But whatever he did, it was too much. It was way too reverential. And Peter lifts him up and says, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just a man. I'm just a man. Don't do that. And so they got off on that, that kind of wrong foot, that, that strange sort of 
cross-cultural misunderstanding here by an awkward, improper greeting. And then, Peter enters the house, and he's, he, he's looking around saying, all these people gathered, because Cornelius had gathered all these close friends and his family, and they were all there. And then Peter began to speak. I had this happen to me different times in Mexico, where I'd be invited to one thing, and then I found out it was something else, and they'd say, okay, pastor, take it. It's like, uh, okay. And I'd have to try to figure out why I was really there, and what the, the agendas really were, and, and what I should do. And, and Peter started off really awkwardly here as well. And, and a little bit offensively, by saying, you know I'm not supposed to be here. That's how he starts his speech. You know it's really not lawful for me to be here. But then, he quickly reverses himself, and here is the amazing insight that God gave to Peter. Peter had had a vision about what? Animals. Animals. But in that vision, the voice said, What God has cleansed, do not call unclean. And it's left open there. What God, it didn't say, the voice didn't say, food that God has cleansed, uh, you shouldn't call unclean. It says, what, that is, whatever God has cleansed, you should not call unclean. And Peter makes the the amazing conclusion here. Peter in verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. And even before that... um, He says in verse, if you back up to verse 28, you yourselves know how it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any, what's he say here? Any person, so he's made the application, any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then, why you sent for me? So Peter still doesn't get why he's there. He, he, he gets that he shouldn't call these people common or unclean. But he doesn't know why he's there. And then Cornelius tells about his vision. And then Peter opens his mouth in verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Now this is, this is an amazing declaration on Peter's lips. Peter is saying this. God has no favorite peoples. God has no favorite peoples. God shows no partiality. Now, instead, God accepts from every nation those who fear Him and obey Him. Look at verse 35. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Now, We can understand, can't we, why the Jews thought that they were the favorites. God had chosen them. They were His chosen for hundreds and hundreds of years. He had chosen them out of the nations. And so they could easily conclude that there was something special about them. After all, God had chosen them. 
However, they forgot. They forgot that God did not choose them because of anything in them, but He chose them because of something in Him. And He told them this, but they easily forgot it. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, God tells them about who they are, a chosen people. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That was their privilege. That was their blessing. God had chosen them. And then He says, why? And why not? It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Did you hear that argument? He says, I chose you. You are my treasured possession of all the nations on the earth. And why did I do that? Why did I set my love upon you? Because I wanted to. I loved you because I loved you. That's the only explanation. I didn't love you because you're lovable. I didn't love you because you're lovely. I loved you because I am loving and I decided to love you. That's what it means to be chosen by God. That's what it meant for Israel. But they turned that into thinking that they were special and that was the reason that God had chosen them. But if they understood God's choice of themselves, they would understand how He could include the nations as well. Why? If He chose them simply because He loved them, He could do the same for other nations, couldn't He? He could do the same for other peoples out of other nations, If He chose them not for something in them, but for something in Him, there was always that possibility that He could choose some from other nations as well. And Peter is beginning to understand this. Peter, the Jewish fisherman. And he says, in every nation, verse 35, in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Now let's think about that. Read the Old Testament. Did the Jews fear Him and do what was right? Oftentimes, they didn't even do that. And so, if this is the standard, they disqualified themselves, even though they were the chosen people. And then, Peter went on to preach to this gathered group. But before we get to his message, we need to to think about this. When we forget that God's election, and this, this doctrine of election is in the Bible that God chooses His people. That's clear from Israel. That's clear in the New Testament that He chooses those who are His. It's His loving, sovereign choice. But when we forget that His choice is based on His love, His love, and not on our characteristics, that is when we fall into pride, pride of race, Pride of ethnicity, pride of culture, uh, pride of social class, pride of, of intellectual preparedness, pride of wealth, pride of whatever it might be. 
and we, we can fall into the same pattern and think that, well, there must be something special about us for God to have chosen us. And if we do that, we're liable to fall into this same error of pride, religious pride, and also to fall into the same error of despising those who are different from us. But Peter was, was learning very, very quickly here, and he proceeded to preach the good news. To whom? To Gentiles. And it looks like Peter has finally figured out that that's what he's supposed to do. And this is remarkable. Because Jesus had told them, you will be my witnesses in in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He had told them, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. He told them this, but I think what they heard was this. Go to all the nations and preach to all the Jews in those nations. Go to all the nations and baptize Jews in all those nations, because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. I think that's what they were understanding even at this point until Peter finally grasped and he preached the gospel to Gentiles. And this, by the way, is the most complete summary we have of the gospel in the book of Acts. We have a number of of sermons in the book of Acts, but if you want the most complete summary of the gospel, we don't have the whole sermon here. We just have a, a summary, but it's the most complete one we have. And he says this. And by the way, he He's he's awkward here in the way he starts preaching. And, and that may not come out. It comes out actually a little bit in English. But it looks like here he's still trying to get his footing. And if you read the scholars, they say, well, this must be a part of Acts that, that didn't get edited. That's why it's so choppy. And I'm saying, no. That's how preachers start preaching when they don't know exactly how, what they should say. I think it records it very, very accurately because Peter starts out with not quite knowing how to preach to, to this group. He's, he's never done this before and actually no one has ever done this before. But what does he say? He begins in, in verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know, do you see how choppy this is? You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people, that would be the Jews, and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Do you see how Peter started to work through the gears here? you see how the sermon got better and better? How it got clearer and clearer? It, it, it began to flow? He gets on a roll. 
And what does he say? He says, Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is the anointed one. He's the Christ. He went around doing good. He healed those who were oppressed by the devil. The, the Jewish people had him crucified and they had him hung on a tree. And that reminds us of Deuteronomy 21, 23. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And that points to the reason why he was hung on a tree. He was hung on a tree because he took the curse for us, the curse that we deserve. But God raised him from the dead and we saw him. We saw him. We are witnesses of him. And he sent us out to preach to the people. And he is going to come back and he is going to be the judge of the living and the dead. And so what is the takeaway? Call on his name now. Believe in his name now because everyone who believes in him has forgiveness of sins. Do you see how this sermon began to take shape? And he'd come to this this crescendo and somebody interrupted him while he was still speaking. And it was the Holy Spirit who interrupted him. He sa- it says, while he was still speaking. He, he wasn't finished in his own mind, but it turns out that he was. He had said sufficient up to this point. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Do you remember back in Acts chapter 2? What had happened on the day of Pentecost? God had poured out His Holy Spirit on on the, the Jewish disciples there. And they began speaking in other languages the, the great things of God. And now... They, the Jews heard them speaking. We don't know in what languages, but they understood the languages well enough to know that they were, they were extolling God. And Peter, we don't know how Peter reacted to this, but we know that the other six who were there, they were amazed. This was very much outside of their box. This was something that they had never contemplated. They had never thought about the fact that, that Gentiles, Gentiles, that God would pour out His, His Spirit on Gentiles? Oh, okay, we're just getting over the surprise of Acts. But on, on, on old men and, and young men, on, on women and on, on children, uh, on, on servants and on masters, that, that God poured out His Spirit. But those were all Jews. We're just getting over the shock of that. And now we get another shock that's even greater, that on the Gentiles, God poured out His Spirit. That was a, a terrible shock to them. And then Peter, he's, he's learning quickly here, isn't he? Peter says, he makes the connection, he said, no way. If, if God poured out His Spirit on these people, just like He did on us at the beginning, shouldn't we, we pour the waters of baptism on them as well? And, and what that means is, if God is receiving them, shouldn't we receive them into the church as well? That's a big jump, my friends. Peter then commands that they be baptized, baptized into Christ, baptized into the church, where all of the members up to this point, except for that lone Ethiopian, whom we met recently, all of them are Jews. And now we have a whole houseful of Gentiles that have just been included in the church. And then, as evidence of the fact that they were learning very quickly that these whom God had received, they should receive as brothers and sisters. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. Verse 48, Then they asked Him to remain for some days. 
Where did he remain? Not at the Holiday Inn. He remained where? With them. With with those Gentiles who were now brothers and sisters in Christ. With those Gentiles who also had the Holy Spirit just like the Jewish believers did. And they stayed with them. And they stayed with them long enough to cause a scandal in the church. They stayed long enough so that some people could get back to Jerusalem and say, you will not believe what Peter's doing. He went in and he stayed with some Gentiles. And then Peter gets back to Jerusalem and they call him to account. Peter had learned, but the church had not learned yet what this meant. And so in the next episodes, we will see the church wrestling with, how do we receive these Gentiles? And if we bring it to our day, how do we receive these people who are so different from us? That's going to cause some uncomfortable times in our church, they were thinking, and more than that. And we'll see how they work through that. But Peter had learned two great lessons. And we need to learn these lessons individually. These are the two great lessons. These are the takeaways. First, if God loves me, it is not because I'm lovable, but because He is loving. That's the first lesson. And until we get that, we're not going to get the other lesson. The second lesson is this. If God loves those people, and you can fill in the blanks there, by the way, you can think about the kind of people that are difficult for you. And we might have different lists there. This kind of people or that kind of people. Those people. The kind of people you'd you'd really rather not be around. If, if God loves those people, then I need to learn to love them too. But not only do I individually need to learn to love them, we as a church, and that's the challenge that we're going to be seeing in the book of Acts, we as a church need to learn to love the ones that God brings to us. I don't know whom the Lord will bring to us in the future. I don't know. It's been a wonderful Pleasant surprise to see whom God has brought to us now. I don't know whom He'll bring to us in the future. But whoever He brings to us are the ones upon whom He is setting His love and saying, these are mine. I love them. And we need to be prepared to love and receive them as well. The only message that can enable us to do that, because that's not a natural human thing. The only message that can enable us to do that is the gospel message that Peter preached on that day. And that is that God loves us so much that He sent His Son to live, to die, to rise, to come again for all those from all the nations who believe in Him. And if that's how we got here, that's how everybody else is going to get here as well. If God so loved us, 
and He so loves them, then we need to put that together and love them as well. Let's pray. Our God, I think back with with shame on times when I have looked down on other people who were different from me and wanted to be away from them. And I didn't tell them about Jesus. And I wasn't in a position to tell them about Jesus because I was forgetting about the gospel myself. I was forgetting how I got here in the first place. By your undeserved love, your favor towards me, a lost sinner, with nothing to commend myself to you. Oh God, forgive me. And if there's anyone else in that boat with me, forgive them as well. And Father, I I pray that you would enable us to learn this lesson over and over as we encounter people that are different from us. Sometimes delightfully so, sometimes offensively so. But that you would enable us to love them and to welcome them and to receive them even as you received us. And who are we, O Lord, but people from out of all the nations, the Gentiles, whom you have been pleased to call and upon whom you have been pleased to place your love. And we pray that you would keep us from forgetfulness, but rather that we would be reminded constantly of who we are and how we got to where we are by your love. And that we would be able to extend that love to whomever you bring to us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.